Hello, Matthew here. If you're hearing this, that means only one thing. We had some technical issues. It seems that during the recording, Michael's microphone became dislocated. If you hear some rubbing sounds or that Michael sounds far away, that's why. I cleaned it up as best I could, but I didn't want to take out many of the insightful things Michael had to say. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC. Please bookmark Headcanon Games for the latest in Polyhedron news. Polyhedron is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com polyhedron. Now on with your show. Welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I am your host, Matthew, and as always, I have my two co-hosts here, Ryan. Matt told me not to distract him, but I really want to. And Scott. He's just so distractible. Just just put a little thing in his ear and he just goes crazy. He seems easy enough to trick. Yeah, he really is. And as a special extra treat, we have a guest live in studio. You know him as the late, well, not the late, the great. Okay, no. was that a threat? No. The great <laughs> Michael Goodwin. He's a treasure. <laughs> He's a treasure. Welcome back, Michael. Well, it's good to be back, folks. Not so easy to trick. No, not. And uh, so, uh, well, it's been a little while. We had a really exciting last episode, didn't we, Ryan? We did. It I'm, was, it was I'm really sorry cool. I missed that, uh, yeah. but my voice was utterly destroyed. Uh, I don't know what happened. I had some kind of flu, uh, but my weird, off-putting voice is back to entertain you all. <laughs> it's so shrill and enjoyable. <laughs> he is just a treat, folks. Just a treat. I, I think that we were we were okay being one man down because it was mostly us just letting him talk and interjecting where necessary. Neil did a fantastic job uh, and his, we'll get to that in a minute, but his Kickstarter's kicking ass. I mean, I, I'm glad I could connect you. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, thank oh, you. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was a Michael Goodwin uh, uh, assist yes. as far as everyone's concerned. Um, but no, I actually, I listened, I listened to it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm, Scion never really was my bag when it first came out, but after listening to that interview, holy shit, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Right. And, and it gets so much more awesome. I, I, I can't, I can't even tell you, you know, really. Oh yeah. Really, sure I can't. Can. <laughs> uh, and so I guess we'll just jump right in the news before we get into our discussion topic for this evening. Uh, the news basically being updating you all about the Kickstarter for Scion. Uh, it went out like gangbusters. They are currently at 146,000. Is, is going out. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, is going out. It's not even in the one week mark and it's hitting like 146,000 thousand dollars out of a twenty five thousand uh, dollar minimum for to actually back the project currently on team yeah absolutely by the time this episode out they should be what in their third fourth week like pretty close to the end of their campaign in yeah. which case if you haven't backed them back them it's awesome. You're going to get so many goodies. I'll go over some of the goodies. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Okay, as of right now, it's $162,000. Yeah. Oh, I was that's, even wrong from my real, original that's, total. That's real good. You're going to get extra pantheons. You're going to get cult rules. You're going to get uh, fiction by uh, Kieran Gillian, uh, who wrote Wicked and Divine, that Neil uh, talked about in the last episode. You have the quick start guide. And you have the conversion rules from first edition to second edition. And with the latest ones, you're going to get... Uh, total fictional pantheon of the the Atlantean pantheon is that correct? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then you're going to probably hit the by the end of it, going to hit the stretch goal that lets them give you rules for how to make your own pantheon in a very concise way, which it's, I look forward to. It's very very exciting. I I, I 
I like everything I'm hearing about it. You know, I'm, I'm probably going to play. Um, and, of course, it makes me excited. And I'm really sad because I was only going to ask one question about Trinity if I were in on the interview. <laughs> I was going to limit myself to one. Uh, but it makes me really excited about the Trinity Continuum. Because... But here, just wait. When that starts rolling down, maybe we'll reach out and have a conversation with a certain someone. Oh, it would just be me, like, nerd yelling at Ian Watson for 50 minutes um, and making jokes that probably only he would, he and I would get. Um, that sounds but, uncomfortable for all of us. Yeah, I know. You can leave the room, guys. It's okay. Just leave me with the mic. Oh, my God. <laughs> That interview will probably never happen now. I just do it myself. Yes. But, oh, uh, <laughs> as a little bit of a um, bit of logistics, a little bit of business news, just to let everyone know, uh, in no way was Polyhedron directly compensated for that interview. That was just us having being fans of Neil and Neil being a cool guy and willing to sit down and talk with us. For the first time ever in my life, being paid an experience wasn't bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Ah, uh, thank you very much, Ryan. Uh, in other Kickstarter job. news, um, uh, obviously we've talked about Seven Seas a whole lot. It's um, fun. It's fun. Uh, there is another Kickstarter, Seven uh, Sea uh, video game, a computer role playing game. Uh, it's called Voyage of Fortune Star. Uh, I believe it's it's definitely uh, licensed from uh, from Mr. Wick, and it looks really good. Uh, it has twenty six days left to go, and they're about a quarter of their way through their funding. Obviously, it's a video game project, so the bar is set a little higher than a tabletop RPG. Uh, but it sounds awesome, and I know I've backed it, and I know if you don't back it, and if it doesn't get funded, my wife will be very upset. Uh, because she really wants to play it, and guys, don't don't make my wife upset. Please don't she, make Kelly upset. No, she's a really nice girl. She's really cool. She'll bake you cookies. No, and then she'll kill cookies. you. No... <laughs> Only, if only, a only a little bit. Only a little bit. Only only with consent. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, no, back that. It sounds really cool. Um, like I said, Voyage of Fortune Star. Check it out. It sounds like kind of a... It sounds like kind of a... Like Planescape Torment style thing. A Bioware kind of-ish. Really cool sounding. I, I like the looks of it. So, why don't we just head knee deep, head deep, whatever deep, it, right into the discussion topic Way for deep. this... Wade. Wade. Oh, Wade in, whatever. We're going to a place, and I hope you join us for this journey. Pick a fucking metaphor. Got it. Uh, basically, we're going to talk about designing a game. Mostly focused around the mechanics of the game, but I'm sure we're going to just rant and rave and go on tangents and all that fun stuff. What? Tangents? Us? No. We're going to meander. No we're going to meander, you son of a bitch. As a bunch of grognards. Yes, exactly. And so... First, the first question is, well, the first thing you probably want to come up with is you want to design a game. You want to make something whole cloth, maybe just for your friends. Maybe you want to publish it. doesn't matter. You want to make it. So the first thing you got to ask yourself is what is the game? What is the setting? What is the themes of this game? I, I'd say you back up one and does this game already exist? There. That's that would so be... important. <laughs> uh, that's not just as a designer, but as a, if you're, you want this to exist because you want to play um, find out because sometimes it does. That, all, that someone, also is true uh, in app development as well. It's like, did someone already make that app? Uh, uh, and then I, the next piece of it is, okay, is there something out there if I'm just wanting to play this that's close enough that I could mod a little bit rather than coming up with something whole? Like, is cowboys and dinosaurs, uh, you know, unobtainable? Can you just with that? Yeah. Can I just do Savage Worlds? Yeah, but, yeah, but, but if you're can... looking to actually make something, publish something, um, obviously, you know, modding someone else's 
outside of say an open game license type yeah. deal isn't really your best bet but it's definitely a continuum of, of how far you want to go down the actual right. creation spectrum because let's be very clear guys if you're going to design your own game from the ground up you're in for a long ride um it's technically a little more intuitive than let's say programming a video game but um you're still going to have to go through a lot of the same mental exercises and, and anguish and it's in a lot order harder to, to debug Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> Feedback and playtesting, very important. Um, so let's, I don't know, what, what, so what are some of the cool things? You obviously have themes like fantasy, science fiction, those are genres. You have uh, sort of like low fantasy, as in like no magic or very little magic. Uh, you can have sonics, you can have all kinds of different things. you got to figure out what you want in this game. And then from there, you have to figure out how narrative heavy sort of like how rules heavy or how rules light you wish it to be um another thing that you need to consider and i just thought of this and because i i think of this because i see a lot of you know games taking this tack is this game going to be kid friendly are kids going to play this game or is this more than that who is going to play this game? who is going to play this game uh, and and you know is it is it a family game is it a, is it a game for you know dudes in their basement is it you know what what is it for thirty year olds and the more that you tighten in that focus and you understand who am I writing for mm-hmm. um, the more that you can tailor both setting and mechanics um, to your audience obviously when I write Debt and Maladies the tabletop <laughs> game that's gonna be for people in their thirties oh, <laughs> right? yeah right oh I don't want to see a twelve year old at the table of that game <laughs> welcome to your future future kid okay man if you find the 12 year old that really dials into debt and maladies that kid's either going to be like a, a world-class author or a serial killer or, pre- or president I or mean, president why limit yourself you can do both <laughs> false dichotomy <laughs> all right i need a moment <laughs> yes so i i would i say that that um you know when you're talking about you know setting and you talked about theme let's let's pull those two things apart because okay. they're 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 two access points that need to feed into each other mm-hmm. when you're talking about setting it's what are the trappings of this what does my want my world to contain what do i want it to feel like and look like and sound like and so forth but with the with the themes for it it's you know how do i want this to feel what kind of emotional experience do i want to create sadness players joy right wraith is a sad fear. right a sad despairing game um you can certainly say the same thing for some of the aspects of mummy the curse mm-hmm. um they 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 are different games um you could also have uh, uh easily enough a, you know what you're working on with um subnet there's some pretty dark stuff that's in that in mm-hmm. there uh, it's a game that has among it some themes of this is bigger than i am this is scarier than i am can i what what hope can i have to be able to go against this now, that's not its only theme. You also challenge that right. piece of it. Right. You also are empowered. Right. We're empowering the but, player but to if, be able but, to challenge But if I, didn't, if, if I wanted to, I could start from a place of saying, I want a game that's going to make people feel shaken and sad and you know, moved. Or I want something that's just going to get the blood pumping and be adrenaline soaked. Mm. You know, And then it's the question of, okay, well... What skin does that wear? If it's adrenaline, is it adrenaline soaked superhero action? Is it adrenaline soaked, you know, like high fantasy? Yeah, yeah. You know, what what, what is what it? does that look like? Um, so you you can't do either of these things and then just go to the other. They're not a step one, step two. They're a cycle that has to feed back into each other when you're saying you're doing your world building. 
because you're not just creating a world you're creating an experience hmm, that's very very good i'll try to absolutely keep that in my mind when i'm going forward because you are trying to uh make a reaction out of your players as well as the characters in the subject when you're running a game when you're designing a game you have to figure out what the player's experience is um very again very similar to video game design um another kind of way to look at this sort of top level game design choice making um is actually something that uh, a man named uh, jared Sorensen and also john wick champion a lot is the three questions of game design uh which the three questions uh, are uh, what is your game about how does your game do this? How does your game encourage slash reward this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mr. Wick adds a fourth, how do you make this fun? Uh, which, like, looking at a game design in those contexts really helped, like, I know us when we were talking about sub- the, the, the beginning stages of Subnet, like the idea of, you know, you know what, what's, the, like, you know, what's the game about? What are the themes, the settings, like that, yeah. that thing is then, and then taking a look at the mechanics of how do your game mechanics represent that how do they and how does your presentation of setting yeah, your, your, your your organization even of how you how you mm-hmm. relay that setting information is going to shape the experience of it because it's not all, you also have to think with these books it's not just the experience of the player or the game master there's also the level of just the reader who's Yoga. coming to it um and then dialing down into more of a psychological thing like how does your game like reward and incentivize mm-hmm. the, you know the behaviors that you you want uh, or disincentivize like, or disincentivize the behaviors i mean that's like i said that's some psychology stuff and like you can if you can bring an element of that into your game design really kind of think about you know when people are role playing their characters when they're rolling dice how you, the design of your game can shape the, the, the type of table, the type of narrative experience you want to want to go with. Game design, the art of playing your players. Oh, yeah. As a person here who has never done this, uh, <laughs> I, I will, I mean, this, I'll, I'll be happy to take on the layman's perspective on this. Please. Probably one of the most important things that you can do as a game designer is make sure that the writing on your shit is tight. Because I'll <laughs> tell you, like, no one... <laughs> I like how clinical and precise that is. Because... Yeah. If someone picks up your book, starts to read the introduction, and is bored and or confused within the the first three pages, you're you're done. It's not or, happening. Or typos. Or if there's a single typo, that'll <laughs> jar them. Like you just have to like edit the living shit out of it and make sure that like someone who ha- well, I mean, I guess this comes back to audience. Is your game for gamers, or is your game supposed to be? Are you trying to pull someone in? Because are you trying to make go mainstream, or are you trying to pull in the niche audience? Because if you're Absolutely. at the because if you're repping Subnet at the Ready Player One premiere, you know you're gonna probably be needing some to make sure that your book is accessible to people who have never played a, a tabletop game before. Right. I've I definitely had that um, as, in, as I've moved on in my career toward more of my own projects um, and consulting on other projects, where I've I've, I've struggled sometimes to figure out exactly what my audience was and uh, as i have progressed further found that the tighter you focus that the more you know that audience for it the more that all this stuff gets much easier is some of the other questions the get sandbox easier is, to answer the sandbox can be you know especially for a creative person you want to keep adding things to it and there's infinite space as long as there's infinite space for it to grow 
your mind is going to keep wanting to fill that space in. Right. Um, if you it's actually a, say, this is the, this is the place I want to fill out, then, then, then your creativity, it's not constrained, but it, 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 well, it can occupy that space. Limitate creativity comes through limitation. That's ingenuity. Like that's how you develop new tools, new ideas is, Oh, I cannot do this or I cannot do that. Well, there's that. There's also just simply the tightness of, um, am I trying to make a statement about this? Yeah. Um, you know, if, focus. If, if, if I'm, if I'm zeroed in and I want to, I want to do a metaphor about uh, growing older, um, uh, yeah. cha changeling, for instance, the ways that changeling the dreaming kind of dealt with the fear of aging and losing your whimsy and losing yeah. your childlike. So getting too banal. Yeah. So if so if you if you if you dialed in for that and say what what is that going to feel like? What is that going? What is that? What what am I going to pull my readers along? This into? is what I want in my game, and I want my players to have that experience, which leads us kind of into the next thing, but Scott's got something. Uh, speaking of Changeling, just a sort of a, a weird aside here, I read an article recently that discussed uh, Changeling from the perspective of queer youth, um, and it was... Lost? Really... Lost or, or... Dreaming. Dreaming, okay. Uh, yeah, just Changeling the Both dreaming. of them would have commentary Bo there. Both of them would, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, the hedge uh, is the closet. <laughs> Pretty much, but anyway, it was a, it was a really good article. I don't know the exact title of it, but I suggest people look it up um, because I dream, I prefer Lost to Dreaming, uh, but the things that article said about Dreaming made me take a second look at Dreaming. Mm -hmm. I actually I, I've I've I've, I've played both. Um, I agree with you in as much as like I, I mechanically Lost was was pretty solid. I, I did enjoy my my one or two sessions. Uh, playing dreaming mm -hmm. though well i think i i think lost had a whole package for me like it it really grabbed me yeah like... that that's just it and um, changeling has this 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 almost infinite can uh, changing dreaming has almost infinite canvas mm -hmm. uh, and it does with all these various themes for it but but it's at its tightest when it drills down to with a, one of those changeling lost written by people who had you know been part of changeling or, right. or at least who had love and knowledge of it one it said all right this is a game about being hurt and getting over that or not getting over that yeah. and what, and is what that do you do with that right uh that so so it, so it it had a tighter focus mm -hmm. and as a result it could be the game that everything reinforced the point that it was trying to make right Cha one of the strengths conversely of changing the dreaming is it can be a horror story it can be a, whim a whimsy story. It can be a urban fantasy. Yep. It, it has realm, so much room for so so many types of stories, uh, and certainly anyone could take a game and play it out and do more with it. But some it some make it easier than others. And um, I think my comment on the whole Dreaming Lost thing is I think that's why I like Lost better than Dreaming. Even though I enjoy Dreaming, I did play a little bit of it. I like Lost because it was a tighter package. It. It had a narrow focus. It gave me a distinct idea. Also, no offense, I was a little older at the time. I guess I understood things a little bit better. But I like that idea of you are playing someone who is damaged mm -hmm. uh, by something bigger and more powerful than you, and you have to deal with that one way by, or another. And by the way, you know, plugging for for friends, uh, you know, under Matthew McFarland, the thing, what your your twentieth edition you know, Changeling is coming. Yeah. Oh and yeah, it is. This is this you talk about being older. Well, this is also you know under a team that is looking back on a as a lens, have, being older people looking right. back to a game that, that in part talked oh, about that. I, so it's this. So I, I haven't read any yet, but just the conversations I've had with some of the authors um, about the game as a whole 
makes me think that, that some pretty exciting things are headed our I'm way. I'm actually really looking forward to this time period. I mean, uh, role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games, have started coming to more prominence and more and more, and I think that sort of sprung off of the, the prominence and the resurgence of board games. And I'm looking forward to seeing the new games of the future because you have... Well, and, older, crowdfund- and crowdfunding. And crowdfunding, crowdfunding. Uh, especially crowdfunding, allows us to have game designers expand their games and have a much more mature lens and they can look back at their older stuff and go this is what i was really trying to say also things like uh critical role and harman quest and uh, acquisitions incorporated and the play together project and the play together project of course um uh you know making a making role playing a a media like something Mm -hmm. a mass for mass consumption um, I think all of those things contribute to a just really big, interesting renaissance, and it's great. I love it. I love to see the thing um, that I love be more represented and have more gas thrown on its fire. And I think you're seeing the hobby, in this, and this is a good way, mm-hmm. least, uh, that it's becoming more fragmented as there's more and more games to fill little niches, uh, more more indie things filling in and saying, okay, well, I, I don't just, I don't take you guys. I don't just want to do cyberpunk. I want to mm-hmm. do cyberpunk with this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And hey, well, that, that particular combination doesn't exist yet. They're there, that subnet. Subnet, this is what it has to add to the conversation. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's sort of the, also just like critical role and play together project and all of them. It's also the natural evolution of, of these people going, what can we do with this? Is something here? It's entertaining. People mm-hmm. like it. What can we do? And they're sort of bashing up against each other, sort of, uh, sort of survival of the fittest mode of who can come out with the best. I mean, survival of the fittest really comes down to the fittest one is the one who actually has a GM to run the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> because like, there are so many games now that it's like, man, Changeling Twenty, that sounds fucking rad. And it's something you know I can say um, from working on some of the games that I have. Um, you can have a game that is artistically brilliant and struggles to be accessibly playable. Um, yes. That whole question of that fourth question of, is it fun? Noblest. Uh, what? I'm sorry. What? It takes a very specific audience to get re- to really just absolutely love the Noblest experience. And, I, and some of them do. I um, love Noblest. But it's, but, but it's a, that's a smaller subset of the game yeah. population. Uh, and it, uh, for those who don't know Noblest, Noblest was a, uh, it's like one or two book, maybe one, one book, uh, diceless role-playing game. Um, and it is a thing of beauty. Jenna Moran. Yeah, Jenna Moran uh, created it. Uh, or did, she didn't create it. She, she There was a first edition done by someone else, and then she created a second edition? I I, I, I would have to get back to you on yeah. that. Uh, but, uh, so, but in any case, her, her, all the things for anyone who loved her from Exalted, everything raised to the nth degree. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful game. Um, very niche. Um, it's also physically beautiful. Uh, the book itself is a a work of art. It's an art book, literally. It's, yeah, it, 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 and that's also another thing. When designing game, you know, way down the line, peripherally, is um, what what am I making an artifact here? You yeah. know, versus am I presenting you know a, a, a useful functional PDF? Yeah, yeah th- that's a that's a conversation for a whole other episode right. of absolutely of the logistics of designing and publishing oh. a game. We can get yes. to that later. I'll bow out of that one. <laughs> that's, like, a, I, that's a that's a cold conversation. That, that, that's where you bring Neil back. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and so, okay, let's we've we've gone on a bit of tangent, so let's rein it in a little bit. You don't tell me what to do. Mm. Yes, I do. Okay. So we, we've got our games, we've got our themes, we know what we want to do. Mm-hmm. 
how do we do it? What's the mechanics? What what am I supposed to do next? Because you obviously have you know what you want to say, okay. but now you got to figure out how you're going to say it. I'll tell you where where I, I always start next. Mm, sure. Uh, character sheet. What's going to be on that sheet? Because the things how I choose to quantify a character in terms of this, what they can do, what am I measuring about characters, mm. is going to tell me what moving parts I actually have. I don't need to know how the moving parts interact yet. But if I want to start designing what the moving parts are, um, then I need to say, well, what's important by that? Okay, well, if I'm tracking physical st- physical capabilities, you know, White Wolf often like to break them into like strength and stamina and dexterity. All right, if I break them along that axis, um, then then I'm making one statement. If I say there's only meat, yeah, <laughs> and if that's yeah. there, you know, to use subnet, then and everything is just down to one one physical trait. That's a statement too. Um, so the level of gradation and what intangibles might I be capturing? Things that have numerical value, things that don't have, especially the interesting ones that don't have numerical values. Um, sort of. So this is the concept that we're going to get into as we start diving into this, is the, what we said before on this podcast, which is mechanics is metaphor. It's the idea of what are you saying with the mechanics? What is it trying to get across to you when you do it? Well, there's definitely that. There's also the literal element of it that says, this isn't the metaphor. If we're tracking, the, these are the things or people or whatever that I yeah, love these most. Are, these, are, that's these, literally, are, the, these are literally things about the character mm-hmm. that, we, that, we, that, we need, that we say you need to know because the game is going to care right. about them. These are important. The it's game, highlighting the these gonna, are important. Well, things. not just they're important. The game's literally going to, if you put the moving part in, something's going to use that moving part. Like, um, just a thought that, uh, that I've, had, I've had for a while. Uh, my preference, I, I, I believe it's my, my, my dislike of D&D has been uh, stated before, uh, but uh, I liked White Wolf's way of doing things just from, like, looking at the character sheet. Like, you know, D&D character sheet is a bunch of numbers, whereas, uh, you know, White Wolf character sheet is a bunch of dots. Like that, you could write visual spatial. Yeah, you, yeah, visu- visually, it, it just how it, good or bad res- are you at something? Yeah, exactly. How good or bad are you at something? It was, a, it resonated with me more, especially because there are things like humanity and willpower uh, on the White Wolf character sheet. Hey, that bar is getting really low. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you also understand. In terms of dots, mm-hmm. you understand the maximum number of dots. Oh, yeah. So when you see that there are five dots in a trait, for say, for white wolves, it's like, ah, the pinnacle of human achievement. Understood. That's not always necessary if you look at a D&D character sheet. No. You, unless you are a D&D guy, you don't know that usually 18 is considered the pinnacle of human achievement, and then beyond that, you're going crazy. And that's a really odd number, too. It's 18. Well, not what does 20, that mean? Not 20, which is the, the faces of the die, which you could relate to, but 18. And even if you did relate them to the faces of the die, you'd be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's the, that's the problem. So D&D is a game where uh, Murphy and I have talked about this a bunch. D&D is a game where someone had to hold your hand and walk you into it, because yeah. there's literally no way to pick up a Dungeons & Dragons book. Or at least in the old days, there was no way to really do that and be like, let's do it, guys. Because I'll tell you what, the one time we tried that, it really sucked. <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a meme going around on the internet, fucking D&D. It's like the most boiled down. Oh, I love that. Like, <laughs> like it's the most boiled down, simple version of D and D, and it's just it, it's like you you're a warlock. You got a fire blast. It's like it just. Spe- speaking of stripped down, though, I would say another example to point to when we're talking about traits and relevant fate um, literally an aspect is uh, hey let that this is a trait that matters mm-hmm. you know why does it matter okay well, we can get into that but 
um, it, it, if you, on some level it says all things are equal in the, that they mm -hmm. matter or they to what extent do they matter um, whereas with uh, um, a lot of other games you know it breaks down and you have some traits operate this way and some traits operate this way and the all of the the interest, intricacies and intric and complexities of that uh, that we sometimes love and sometimes want to wring somebody's neck over <laughs> yes um it, it, mechanics are going to be complicated there's going to be a lot of things you want to do with it you so michael said we start with the character sheet and what we want to what the character sheet's going to say is going to say a lot about what else you're going to do and then obviously after you figure out that you're going to have to look at well how what happens if scott has a character sheet and i have a character sheet how do how do traits interact yes yeah, yeah, exactly you've made what is the conflict you've made resolution the, you've made what the moving parts are now, how do they how do they move? Right. Um, and how the, do I do a thing? Right. Yeah. You know it. And that. And for that, it comes. I think down to I want my character to take action. I want that action to succeed. Is there the possibility for failure? Is there the possibility for gradations of success or gradations of failure, for that matter? Yeah. Um, and how do how do we process uh whether an action is successful or not successful along that continuum i think a big uh thing that i've seen and this is story path and a lot of other newer systems that are coming out now is like you can fail but that's okay because I, and i just think that it, it that's like if you want to talk about the fucking revolution of of tabletop gaming it's you can fail but that's okay because something else i would happen. i would even say I'm, i would point a lot of good credit to me and to masterminds um for hero points and for the way that you gained hero points by having thing, complications happen to your character mm -hmm. having bad right. things happen and that is carried Here's, forward like a lot and, in a lot of and systems. then and you can see it in the in the chronicles of darkness the way that you gain exper but, experience and flaws i want to point something out here but what does that say about the system itself it's very interesting like you have to look at that from the idea of what it by not oh. feeling as much or i wouldn't say not feeling as much but but even failure comes with something. Okay, I can I can I, dive. I, well, I, I have my, my, my man on the ground, like, please, please. funny guy explanation for that. That just means that the guy who wrote the system knows how to yes and, like, took one improv class one time and knows how not to suck at storytelling. <laughs> because you know what sucks the most in the entire world? No but. Yes. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. telling you no. Telling you absolutely, positively, you fail, nothing happens, this sucks. Yeah, the... Now, what is... Michael, what's your answer to that? Hmm. Ah, yes. Incentivizing. Okay, people are playing these characters because they want to go into those lives. Now, they might be doing that because they want to escape from their own or just because they are they like the experience of going in and, and savoring these alternate... They love playing. hanging out with their friends. They and this yeah, is how there are lots of it. reasons. Right, right. But um, you know, if you are going into a character... There's some element of wish fulfillment. You chose that character. Yes. And you chose what that character could do. You, you, some sort of character creation process was in there, and you picked something. You made choices about the character you wanted to play. Unless you're playing Mutant Epoch, in which case you had no choice whatsoever. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> oh, you know, just a bunch uh, of... But, but, it, but when you've done that, you've made a statement that says, I want stories in which my character can, will, will be successful at doing these things. This is what I'm good at. Maybe also this is what I'm bad at. But when I'm thinking about planning the stories, this is the stuff I want my character to be successful at that will make, fulfill me as a player. And so if, if, if I want to get to that, that goal, then the natural straight path of from here to there is I will succeed until I get there. That's also boring. 
And yeah. you have to, uh, but at the same time, if, if you're escaping in and you have that motivation to it, suddenly it comes down to, all right, well, what incentive can I give you for not just pursuing the optimum puzzle Path. solve? So, yes. And we'll get to that more when we think we can talk about gamism and, and nervism and all that. But if, if I'm going to take a detour, if I'm not going to take a beeline straight for success all the time, why why am I choosing that? Also, I, 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 Scott will get to your question just real quick. Uh, I'll, because I have a statement about what we just talked about. And what you have to say is more important than what I have to say. Uh, occasionally, yeah. Now go ahead, Scott. Um, just, uh, as Michael was talking about that, uh, I just thought weirdly of the movie The Professional. Uh, like the idea, like you've got Leon, who's this badass assassin. Obviously, that's what his character is good at. But the interesting thing happens when he now has to take care of a little girl and like that's not his skill set and... When you were talking about like mm-hmm. what my character's mm-hmm. good at and what my character's mm-hmm. specifically bad at, mm-hmm. and those are two accessy axes for right. telling a good story. Absolutely, but if when we're, it's one thing if we're sitting here back as the writer mm-hmm. writing a book, writing a story where where we don't we're not playing these characters. We're mm-hmm. playing or to the extent we're playing all these characters. So when when something well it can be, but when yeah. somebody's failing or succeeding, mm-hmm. it's it's you playing God down there. Right. When you're invested inside, when you are the person inside the puppet mm-hmm. holding that character up and that's your avatar. Right. Then you, you, you it's, suddenly it's personal yeah absolutely. literally if you if you're doing it right it's personal and so at that point so having, having mechanics that incentivize that and facilitate that right. at that point i can i can fail completely in real life is all <laughs> i do it all the time and, and that's and cool. that's just it when we were doing system design a lot of times it came down to well what and what do people want to play i think i mentioned the last time i was on one of the lessons of of of, of writing for about abyssals was there was this very very tight artistic vision that that in their conception but but it turned out that a lot of people actually wanted to be able to play the abyssal anti-hero that mm-hmm. wasn't just do- just completely doomed. Right. Know? They didn't want to just fail. Like ultimately, like I have this great story, I just don't want to fail at the end. Well, no, I, I, there's that, but also, but I mean, you you had the choice before of you can be the villain or you can be doomed. You can spread doom or you can be doomed. And people want another option, which is you know, to be the dark dark anti-hero thing. Right. And that was fun for a lot of people. And by trying to sh- try, by tightening down and saying, okay, here's this tight artistic vision, it pushed away. And for a lot of people, that wasn't fun. So that that was a question of audience right there, over, you know, the artistic integrity of you know, this your stark vision statement. versus what's fun st- and interesting for right. the player. What do you what do you want to say versus what is your what do they want to what do they want to play? Uh, uh, do it. And those those are those are hard. You talk about feed. You mentioned you know the importance of feedback. Those are some hard lessons when you look at and you say, but 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 it does this. It does this. It does this. And these were great innovations. And someone says, yes, they are fantastic innovations. But my heart hurts, and it's been one session. <laughs> I didn't feel very good when we were doing this. So you know so that was very brilliant. Everything. You told a beautiful story, and I never want to do this ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, that's uh, so, That's Ray. That's oh man. And, and you know, um, I I really love have loved my, the Mummy the Curse, which is the last uh, game that I was published for. Um, and it, it, artistically, I think that it, it it does some very innovative things. I mean, the notion of starting out at at, at maximum power. power and then effectively, you know, here's your max level, and now your levels fall off, and that's your life bar. 
That's cool. that's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty innovative. That's inventive. That's right. very inventive for right. any other. But the pacing of which at which you decline meant the question of what stories is it possible to tell here with these characters um, with being on the clock. Well, actually, that is a big design question. You you should probably answer. Like you should have. Let's reel this back. You need to answer that question. How long do you expect a campaign of this game to last? Like because I've uh, we ran into a game called Tenra Boncho. Uh, recently, that is that that game is intent. It's basically like, hey, you like? Did you like the Giver and people turning into weird parasite, terrible monsters, and all that sort of shit? It's that game. Do you? It's it's more intended to be like three sessions, maybe, mm-hmm. as a whole story. Uh, yeah, I'm going to admit to the fact that uh, this is this is probably one of my weaknesses as a writer is I think in terms of long stories. Uh, I, my first real chronicle that I ran was an eight-year-long Exalted game. And then, <laughs> then we had a Grimwatch game that we yeah. that you and I you yeah. played into that was about six years. Um, yep. And Christ. You know, it's these are on and off, but over six sure, years. Sure, but but I, I I don't I think of games uh, on such a big scale of well, there's going to keep being well a well to keep going back to, and, and so sometimes thinking in terms of a one shot or thinking in terms of even a limited span. That's really hard for me to do. I haven't played those kind of games. I, I run actually, those kind I, of games. I, I'm kind of with Michael. I, it's hard for me to start when I was designing those adventures for Dragon Con. When we were designing those adventures, right. it was like, okay, we have four hours to tell a story. Right. What are we going to do with the four hours? Right. For me, how are we going to do that? Yeah. For me, the experience of running a game, it's it's a relationship with your players. I'm getting to know them. I'm getting to know what they're what 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 makes them tick. What their dreams? What are their fears? What are they wanting out of this experience? And I get to know that well enough that that the running of the game is really letting the sandbox bounce off of of, what, of these player expectations. Um, that that that's fantastic for world building on an open open ended level. That's a terrible terrible <laughs> terrible way to be able to conceive of one shots. Because I remember many conversations that you and I with, especially with Grinwatch, were like, uh, "I want Matthew. I want this to kind of happen in this one session." And, and I and I immediately went. That, that's not going to happen in one session. It's going to happen in three. I know right. how long it's going to take us to get through all this. Do stuff. The, do Just the mecha- players being players. Do okay. the mechanics lend themselves to that happening in one session? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and this is also um, it's an interesting contrast. What I'm mostly known in terms of writing as being a systems writer, and I feel pretty competent, you know, and, and I'm certainly learning. But when I actually run games, my preference is to have system hit as little as possible. Because the kind of games that I like to run, very psychologically driven, very very driven by the not, the intimate knowledge of each player, long game um, with developing them. So and and, and I typically and, and a lot of my players have been professional or semi professional actors. Um, <laughs> it's uh, true. So so it, 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 it or or game developers or game writers yeah. or you know um, and so as a result, I didn't need. A lot of systems to adjudicate making story happen well. I didn't, they they already knew nowhere, what they were part of. Needed to be really held along the way, everybody understood that things are more interesting when we create complications for ourselves. And boy, did you ever! Uh, I think, and I think, um, you know, that's kind of the secret of any table is you know your your success or failure, regardless of the system, is is based off you know who uh, who you have around your table mm-hmm. and you know the the the, the, the synergies uh, of personalities and whatnot uh but since we are supposed to be talking about mechanics yes and whatnot, let's talk about some mechanics uh, yeah um, and, and you know also you can't 
write you have to when you're writing for something you know i i was rarely writing for my players huh. I, I, yeah. I, I because my players were so non-representative sampled <laughs> and that's that, good that you didn't then and, because and so so, yeah. I, so so what did i do i went on forums and i and i interacted with and, and we talk about you know who's your audience part of that is going out there and listening to them and finding right. who that audience is and if it's an established game communicating with that audience so that you 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 are you really do know what it is that they that they want mm -hmm. out of this and that's these are all i know we went on a tangent but it's a very important tangent because all these questions all these perspectives these are the things you have to try to answer even before you get to how do my dice do what you have to really sit down and figure out all, the answer to all the questions you which are present. You don't have to know all the answers. You have to have asked all the questions. Right, um, right. And, and you have to have a pretty good sense of a and, lot of And them. have the open mind to, of absorbing all the information around Absolutely. you. But when you are ready to start dialing down and, and really going into to mechanics and and, uh, and how things set up, there's actually some... So people have had some thoughts regarding this. Uh, <laughs> just a like, few. Just a few thoughts. So, you know, they, they've got we've got words like abstractionism and simulationism and narrativist and gamist. And oh, there's, oh, there's a whole... Let's get some vocabulary. How yeah, let's get some vocabulary. People have had thoughts regarding those All things. Right, Perhaps we should go into some of that. Yeah, can you cut in like a little chimey sound just to let them know that this is the educational portion and they should skip it? Vocabulary time with all polyhedron. Right. All right, so we'll, one of the axes that we have to work with uh, here, we have abstractionism versus simulationism. Um, you have different priorities here, and, and things aren't going to just be one or the other. Um, games are generally going to fall somewhere on the continuum. Uh, on one end, with, a, with simulationism, it says, can the system, can the game rules process any given event? Um, or, or do you just have to, to what extent do you have to fudge it? Uh, yeah. Adjudicate. Does, does right. someone have to narratively right. adjudicate? Right. Um, do you need you know, the human being to process it versus the system itself processing it? On the other end of it, you know, the more abstract you go, the more that there are, are you're, you're taking decisions um, out of that and putting them back into the players and the GM and, and whoever else. It's uh, no surprise that you'll see your diceless games more on exactly that end absolutely your amber, amber is your, your abilities absolutely and then on your simulations you have things like gurps and shadow run right and, that are and, more nitty-gritty and, and and then uh champions uh, and then but you somewhere in the in, in that middle range is going to be people where, where where there's some play and, and people have some expectations a lot of times as gamers mm -hmm. about what is what is a role-playing game look like okay i'm going to have character sheet it's going to have going to have numbers or something like them that tells me how good i am at things right. and and maybe tells me what special advantages i have maybe some disadvantages i might have if, if it's if, if we're getting all artsy uh and, and and on it goes from there okay that makes sense mm -hmm. oh and dice dice to resolve it chance to resolve it chance. Those, those those are those are familiar things so sometimes uh, you're going to be leveraging off of that Literally, because of the inertia of the hobby that says this is how things have been done, yes, um, and people want some of that familiarity. And another weird aspect of simulationism, um, you know, in general, when you're talking about simulations, you're talking about a physics engine, uh, like you know how how guns work and how 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 that's something. But there's if also I want to throw a rocket, Scott. How do I? But throw there's a also so, you know, when I did social like, combat, does the rocket yeah, throw? social combat, and also like you know like. Simu a simulationist view of like how the world works in a narrative perspective. Yes. Like one of my favorite examples of this, and I believe I've made it before, 
uh, was uh, the idea that if you're pr- playing a Sailor Moon RPG, it is physically impossible to be attacked while you're transforming. Yes. Like, it just, you just, you can't do this, it. This is something I, um, there's a fan of Exalted um, that was prominent on, on boards and stuff, John Chung, who was a, a deep uh, simulationist. Mm-hmm. And he would acknowledge, he, he his fun was, if everybody is using the exact same rules, PCs, NPCs alike, I want to find the win condition that, that says the optimal behavior that allows for maximum success inside of the system. Right. That was his fun. Right. He, he was fully acknowledged that was not that a was lot not of how you role fun, play that, game. Not what a lot of other people's fun was, yeah. but that was his, which meant he could kick the tires and see where a system had flaws because he would he, he, there was no gentleman's agreement. Whatever he was going to go for blood, whatever the system could allow. You would, he would, he would, he would the do. The rules are the rules are the rules. If for, these are the rules for my game, it's going to say these things and it's going to do these things. It, it, it's, and, and everybody's bound to it and that's how it is. And the, and you know, the, the notion of GM fiat or, or PC glow was anathema to him. Yeah. Um, but frankly, you know, in, a, in, in, in the design that I, I favor and, and that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends favor from it is that notion um, where being a protagonist does matter um it is significant there is a weight are. to it how much weight is and what is, is the varied weight, and, and what does the weight look like and to like continue upon that uh, uh, there's been a number of games recently tender bunch of 17 and stuff like that it's it's more of a situation where it's like i don't die unless i fucking say i die and if i am choosing to die right now shit is about to go crazy like you can check the box that says i'm about to kill myself I get super mega awesome powers for the rest of the scene, and then I'm gone. Which I did back in uh, Exalted in, in um, Dreams, the first age, when I did Martyr Charms for Dragon Blood. Oh yeah, where yeah. it was okay. Um, I, uh, here's this first age setting filled with Celestials doing insane things. How do you with, even? How do I make? Dra- how do I make Dragon Blooded? In, you know, e- equally exciting for them because they certainly can't match that. All right, what if they go down swinging hard? And, uh, and and that informed fun design to it. I, I won't say it by any means. You know, there are plenty of other things that are more interesting about Dragon Blood than other people have come up with. But I, I that I stumbled into something better than I had intended for it to be. Uh, when, when that, people that had that had a representation of what Dragon Blood are like, what what right. their themes I was just, are. I was just trying to go for what, how do I make them feel like they've got this wounded samurai honor that's broken um, into it, and that was going to lead to all this tragedy in the Shogunate. Because I knew we weren't probably going to get a Shogunate book. Yeah. So so this is my pointers. For I believe him. one of those charms was like you gain a ridiculous, unbelievable amount of soak. But after you're done like with what you're up to. Seems up. You're dead. <laughs> sorry, man. <laughs> yep. Goodbye. Yeah. I hope I hope you used it well. Right. And, and, and you guys, good karma. Uh, yeah. 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 And the idea of karma and the idea of In sort of rooting, yep. uh, rewarding. Good, this is also getting to the incentive idea of rewarding good behavior and disincentivizing bad behavior. Right. Um, not to say you can't be bad or right. do bad things because you also don't want that moralistic of the GM is basically God and just right. going, you did a good thing or you did a bad thing. And when you have multiple players... You have diff- you're having to reconcile multiple expectations. It's possible for one player to either help or inhibit another person's um, pl- positive, fun experience. So part of what you're doing with the incentives is not just leading them to particular behaviors. 
you're 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 trying to make sure that people aren't crashing into each other. Um, that that and sharing that spotlight. That's something that uh, Storypath is going to do. Is like the idea of the player spotlight. Of some people have the spotlight at certain times, and you should give deference to that. But once it's off of you, you give deference to the other people right. that have it. When you were one of my players for for Grimwatch, and again, reminder for folks who didn't see, listen to the previous podcast, Grimwatch is a something that I've made myself um, that originally branched out of Amute's um, Mastermind's you know, custom setting. It's kind of a Hellboy-esque um, mm. supernatural horror superhero game. But when, when you were playing in it over all of those years um, into it, well, you knew that each of you were bringing certain kinds of things to the story. Right. Um, and that in any given story, you were going to get moments to shine. Um, so when I designed... It, just just like when you're designing the story for your game, when you're designing your game, you're designing what stories will fill inside that, what stories would fit inside yeah. of that. And what story, well, where are you leading people's minds to go to say, this is, this is what a blank game name game is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, going back to the, the axis of abstraction, abstraction yes. versus... Uh, Simulationist. Rainus in, Scott. On the other end of things, you have the abstractionist end of things, which uh, I can speak very heavily to because <laughs> yes. I, I, I've played I, a, great, I love them. a great amount of Amber Diceless role-playing, and that's about as abstract as you can get. You have four stats, and if you are better at someone in a stat, you beat them. Uh, if it is a contest of that stat, like if, if it's a contest of strength, and you have a higher value of strength than them, you win. Um, How's it the blood? It operates on a similar principle in one of its forms, doesn't it? No, it actually operates on the inverse, uh, in that you have a weakness, and if something is your weakness, you automatically suck at right. it. Right? Okay, that was it. I'm actually because you're wor- awesome at everything else. I'm actually working on a system for a game that I'm uh, one of my own games, where instead of having a character sheet, right now it looks like you'll have a player sheet, uh, huh. and you'll and you'll have stats that are actually based around what what kind of niche um, protection you want to have, what kinds of control, and, and the stats determine how much of the control of the narrative you get to take, how much of a limited GM you are, under what circumstances do you get to decide what happens in the story. You're, you're almost making rules for everyone for a collaborative narrative. Uh, but where, but where, where we still have um, somebody who, who is the central game master for it, and it says, all right, if you're by default omnipotent to this, which generally you know, mm-hmm. they are, to what extent is the system saying I get to take control for a moment because as as the guide of this protagonist, this is what I, I want. But but using the protagonist as you know, recognizing them as a puppet of the player who wants this experience. That that sounds great. I need to be alone. <laughs> I need I need to go. I will not clear I'll the be right room. Back, so you, you, you all clear the room. See how frowny of a face I had when Scott was talking about Amber and Diceless Systems. They make my skin crawl sometimes. Yeah, that's just because you don't appreciate, like, goodness and art and joy. Uh, I just don't like the conceit of, I'm always good at something, therefore I'm always good at this thing, and and you can never beat me at the thing that I'm good at. It just bothers me. No, you just have to be super clever about how you make the thing that you're good at. I get it, guys. Mostly for effect. Mostly. But... It's still one of those things of, how, this gets into the thing of, how do you adjudicate if you succeed, how and if you fail, how you fail, and all of that, like, you have to deal with the chaos of the mechanics. Yeah. And then another thing, uh, axis of this, uh, uh, you know, narrativist versus gamist, sort of a, a slight reframing yep. of this, 
Um, if and when I say gamist, of course we're talking about role playing games. Period. But if we if we back it up and think about how most people use the term game, we're, we're playing this thing that's competitive and we want to. There's a win, win condition. Right, right. There's win conditions to this. That's also where um, you know John Chung gave his example because I actually used him as shorthand to refer to you know Chungian mechanics, um, <laughs> where 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 it's have you kicked the tires where somebody can break if they want to break this is going to be breaking this easily. Right. Um, but that that came down to uh, the gamist approach that says I want to win. I want to find the win condition um, inside of this, and that's not just the playing of it, but. I, that there is a win condition somewhere in there. Narrativist and abstractionist, you know, they're similar, but but it but when you're pointing out the narrativist side of it rather than the abstraction side, mm-hmm. it's it's not just how how removed is it from mechanics, it's how much is this being driven by a particular story or a my, particular objective. My personal experience has fallen more on that axis. I think I have dealt more with the how much how much. You know, am I? Are we looking to win versus how much story are we trying to tell? That is, that has been the the forever conflict that I have been dealing with. Since I think I that's, that that speaks to the, a lot of gamers' experiences, and the, and the more that I, I I those were the gamers, frankly, that I was writing for a lot a lot of the time um, because it was understood that that's where people a lot of people were. And I think that going to a little bit of history, a little bit of pontification here, I think it comes from D D. It comes with the, the idea of D D is get it beat monsters, get XP, get loot, move on to the next monster to get XP, the, get loot, rinse, wash, repeat. The idea of trying to tell a complex, nuanced narrative with the backing of D&D as your system, it's... Well, let's also remember really where it comes from. I mean, that when we're talking about uh, war games, and, yes. and that that was literally an exercise in simulationism. That mm-hmm. was That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and the notion of interjecting a narrative onto that that's sort of where the hobby begins to break off and become something well, it, yeah, it, was, it, it, it was a it was a tolkien simulator right oh, only only it was i mean it was it was a tolkien action simulator that's true yeah, um, absolutely. yeah. It, the, 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 if you really get down to tolkien yeah. tolkien was way more about all this narrative oh, yeah, and absolutely. about and these abstract notions of mortality and and life. yeah I mean D D doesn't have the system to to tell the 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 subtle stories the subtle right. subtext that Tolkien was trying to get across you know, in his I, stories. People could bring it, but people could bring it. My my stepdad was a was a first edition AD and D player, among other things. And and my first actual experience of encountering the hobby at all was finding his worn books um and dice and such in the back of a cabinet in the, in the garage reading this before where before i'd ever would come to play anything and and when i would when he would t- get him to tell stories about this he was telling stories that that were rich in characterization rich in 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 character drama but he was just bringing all of that the pair the players were just having to bring all of that right the notion that that you would that you would have stat off personality i mean it was a, it was a stretch that there was charisma <laughs> uh, uh, and, and then the more that you dived in and said okay well if if it if we're going to have this game be about these other things if we're going to inject narrative then what how is our system going to accommodate proccing that too? that's that's the history of gaming that we see especially within the last i would say 15 years Mm -hmm. is we're 
White Wolf did a great job back in the '90s of of starting to expand off the D and D model of the idea of role playing. Let's get some. I'd say that they really did a great job sitting in the middle of both of of all of these axes, Um, right? And then, as you see now, especially with Kickstarter and stuff, you're seeing more people go, "Wait, I have all the tools necessary to play around in the sandbox and figure out what I can do with it." I mean, I think in the history of most White Wolf writers, I bet like is that story you just told like. You found out that someone you you knew or loved played on AD and D, and somewhere they have this giant tome of setting that they've written this intensely deep setting and have tried to use D and D to sort of like inge- mechanize the the life of that setting. And you were like, "Well, that may not necessarily be the best system with which to tell this story. Let's see if we can." But it's the one they got. They used it because that's the one they had. And I never really was much of a D and D player at all. And when I first kind of came into the hobby, sitting down at a gaming table or sitting down at a lunch table, my first day of freshman year of high school with people who have have a game, and Shadowrun books were going around. And we only played a few sessions of that. But but jumping uh, in, in, into the hobby. Those, those were those were realities of this and people it was very clear that this that, that this was a hobby that was starting to question at, at a deep level where are we going with this why are where but what can we do with it what can we express with it uh, and and going back a few few pegs in the in the conversation um that makes me really want to see a game that is an actual like tolkien simulator now, I'm oh, talking be... action simulator. I know there's been a couple of Lord of the Rings uh, role-playing games, yes. but I don't know if there's any of them that have taken it from the narrative perspective of you know of talk dealing with the themes that Tolkien was dealing, with, you know, like the the mortality and you know the, environmentalism, the environmentalism industrialism, like a game a game that's designed around that idea. Man, that'd be actually kind of cool. Well, actually, I do have it. When when Lord of the Rings came out, I <laughs> actually have somebody's written gaming rendition it was the latest edition i bought it i read it it was a weird interesting mix of 3.0 D and white wolf and but they dealt there was a little bit of meat on the bones of that similar to what you're talking about oh ryan you are just you just you just you just made it sound like monty cook's world of darkness man you just made it sound like monty cook's world of darkness don't talk to no, me about that no, evil. it was actually kind of interesting don't put that evil on me no it, it's not monty cook's world of darkness i promise you okay. are safe for now okay so we've talked a lot, a lot about the big questions, and obviously when we come down to it, and from my perspective, mechanics are the physics of the world, the, the nuts, the bolts, the skeleton of it. Mm-hmm. Things do not move and shake in your mm-hmm. system without the mechanics. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself, out of all these questions and all this stuff, mm-hmm. what, if you're going to have chance... And how are you going to use chance? Yep. That's where dice come in, and that's well, and that's where it get, gets back to the resolu- before you even dice. That when you're talking resolution mechanic, it comes down to if, I'm, if 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 my player, if a character does X, if that succeeds, this happens. If that fails, this happens. If there's gradations of success and failure, we define what those things are, and now we need something that says what goes into determining which of these outcomes is right. A lot of times, what that's going to take the form of is I've mentioned this, you know, traits that that assess a character's particular competence in some arena, how strong they are, how fast they are, how much they know make it more likely that they will succeed rather than. And and so, the character that is more competent is going to be more likely to succeed than a character who is less competent. But 
it can also be well, where do you succeed because you're confident do you succeed because you're lucky do you you know what goes in into what makes a character uh, being the character that it wants to be so you have to figure out what you want to use if you're going to have dice if you're going to have cards you're going to have something else paper rock scissors doesn't matter you're going to have to simulate something that has a measure of randomness because there should be, in some most narratives, a measure of failure, possibility so, of failure. So, so shall we talk the briefly the aesthetics of dice uh, there for a moment? They are so nice. Well, yeah. not that aesthetic for it, but Aww. which dice you pick? Yes. Um, you know, D6s have the advantage of being, that's a die that makes sense to me, having never seen other weird Because it's dice. in every board game right, nearly right, forever. Right. Mm-hmm. D20s have the advantage of all the weight of D20 systems, yep. but also... You know, twenty is you know, two tens, and we the things that work in terms of ba- counting in tens yes. make sense to us little base ten monkey creatures, um, and that leads to d tens, which you know my, my own which also plays into if you're going to deal with dice, if you're going or you're going to deal with cards, anything you have to deal with probabilities. Absolutely, and uh, one of the things that I always did when writing game mechanic systems that 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 had dice coming out to them was do probability tables. They're not fun. They're not, no, they're not, you they're not, should. You should. Frogonardi is right. Yeah, you should all, but, but you. Well, oh, sorry. You need yeah. to. You need to because uh, you can produce artifacts where people are succeeding way too often for what, and you can't differentiate levels of competence. But right. Where, or where people are failing all the time, and that's really not what we had in mind. But you know what? Uh, and this is probably uh, you know a boon to those of us who are game designing games in the year of our Lord, twenty sixteen. Um, the internet exists, and you can just make probability tables. Yes, you can. Yep. Like you can just you can just go to a website, and you don't have to do any math. Or, much or your math. game can have an app. I, or your game can have an app. Or your game can, can have the math app. can be done for you. And that's actually where you, we're starting to get the role playing games start becoming closer to role to video games. Because Mon- Monty Cook's latest Kickstarter yeah. has a, was also is an augmented reality game among other things. It has it has its own app. It's going to yeah. It's it, because crazy. a lot of the back end you can get more and more complicated probabilities and more nuance in it because you can have a computer doing everything for you rather than you having to either manually do the math and rolling dice. It just becomes it can be easier, but nostalgia. Nostalgia is valuable when it comes also, to the physical. When Scott, uh, when Michael was saying the physicality of the dice, that's an act of picking up the dice and throwing it up. Right. It's like taking fate in your own hands and doing something. But it's also it. an action that drags you out of a narrative. One thing that people seem to not remember, though, when they talk about these probability tables, is that is a problem. That 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 number, that number, is, in my opinion, not basically not real. Like that number is over. X number of rolls that no human be- that no, thousands of rolls that no human being right. will ever the, touch. The purpose of the of the probabilities is to be able to differentiate what do different ratings mean, and if we're going to throw down, how do they proc? That's right. That's, you don't necessarily need to, but you have to recognize that there is a level of abstractionism that's going to go there, or you're going to go absolutely insane right. trying to model the universe. But, and, and in that, but in that case, you do have to recognize the fact that those numbers are not, in fact, like... Yes. In fact, not gospel, which is... A, a, it's a, it, and that's a fallacy that will, will screw you. It's like, it's 18%. One on a D... Plus one on a D6 is always 18%. It's like, yeah, over a few thousand rolls, but like... Remember what what a plus one means. It's you know. There's still important. There's still important yeah. that probability does play into calculating because if like a poker player, you have to look at the table. You have to see what what you're like. Who is the most likely to succeed in this role? I'm never going to include the table 
I, or not, I won't say never. That's a terribly dangerous thing to say. Um, I am unlikely to ever include the probability breakdowns as tables ever in a game that I do. I've but, never seen but, a game but, that but have them. But, as, but in terms of, of being able to, to have them on hand, anytime that I'm going to add a moving part, okay, here's a plus one. Oh, here's a reroll option. Here's a... Yeah, a, right. You know, yeah. The more moving parts there are, the more you, you, your brain isn't a computer and can't run all of them. Right, you, need, you need them to sort of understand you need it as a base set of toolkits it's yes. just like never just don't rock Except the fallacy for, but look at for look at it for what it is and and if you want to say that this is in fact simulationist then and we're living in a world where a person has magic suddenly suddenly has done a thing and now they're 18 percent more likely to succeed at things you can do that uh i i read web with some web comics um uh, uh the uh, uh, goblins, where you'll see hit point things go down. <laughs> I haven't read and, Goblins forever. And Everyone beautiful. needs to go look at Goblins. It, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, there, there was a D&D setting. Um, I forget what it was called, but there was a D&D setting written uh, wherein they had figured out that uh, like one in 20 of a time something goes really well and one in 20 of times things go really poorly. They had figured that out as an aspect of like the physical universe and it was part of the well, setting. And I was actually going to go from Goblins one example, but my favorite one is Order of the Stick. Oh. Uh, yeah. Because the, all of the in-jokes that characters make, I mean, starting in the fir- very first comic with, um, okay, we've changed editions, and, and, and here's how that rejiggered our stats, and this is the char- these are the classes that benefited, and here's the class that didn't. Oh. Uh, so yes, we, we, you, you, there's, a, there's a self-awareness that I think you, you, you have to... That's another axis. How self-aware are these mechanics? How meta are we going for uh, yeah. as part of that experience? Um, so we're looking at, we've, now you've designed something, you've a- answered a lot of these questions that we've asked and you've, you think you have, or you think you have, uh, and then you've also looked at your probability tables. You got all this stuff. Well, here comes where rubber meets the road. Uh, you need to play test an astronomical amount. Yes. And there's a lot of reasons to do that. Um, first off, I'm inviting uh, lightning to strike me dead, um, because, uh, uh, I, I, I have terrible track record of having you know, actually done a lot of playtesting. Hmm. Um, I, I, a lot of times uh, working in this um, deadlines as tight as they were to this playtesting involved um, literally taking the extreme values and kicking them through the probability tables so that I to see did this break or not. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times that worked out. Um, sometimes it didn't. Uh, and you know, the fact is that the more times you, you, you patch and you add a new moving part, you, you, you add exponential complexity. Yes. I think um, the size of the exalted second edition errata by the, by the time that, that, that Ink Monkeys was done with it um, attests to what happens when it's, Okay, we're going to keep going back and 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 innovating and trying to patch and trying to learn. If people don't know you could literally kill a man with that errata. Like, yes, print it out and, and, and beat and, someone to death. With and it. granted, we know there's so much innovation that happened in the course of oh, doing absolutely it. a lot of a lot of uh, and you know you can look to third ed- in, at third edition Exalted and see some so a lot of seeds in Ink Monkey work um, to this. You can also see places in that Scion uh, has, mm. has, 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 has bounced off that. Legend of the Wulin also has something called the Half-Burnt Manual, which is about a, a fucking 85, right. 90-page errata. But it also, like, 
It's like, yeah, we added some stuff that was obviously broken and stupid, but we, we changed how character creation works, but we also added a bunch of new content that we thought was neat based on actual Chinese history and stuff. Woo! The feedback thing. So, so there, um, abyssals, um, again, it, if I, I went into it and the mechanics were pretty much sound um, when mechanics were presented, uh, at least at the time that they were turned in. I had nothing to do with Void Avatar Prana. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but um, the, but I, but but I hadn't taken into account the player feedback, the experiential feedback right. that said, "Okay, those are great mechanics that are doing exactly what they set out to do." We don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, or it's also the idea of a different set of eyes. And a different life experience will give a different perspective on what you're looking at. You could look at the same sheet a thousand times over a thousand different days. Guess what? Right. You will not get the same valuable right. feedback, valuable information that Scott or Ryan Absolutely. will look at in one day of looking over. You as design. the creator know what you meant to do. You have the vision of the game in your head. And part of what you're trying to do as you create is is, is through yourself and through, through the help of others that you, you brought on make that vision realized so that other people can share that vision with you. And I think, I think what that story you mentioned comes up actually an, a, a whole lot in published work, actually. It's just like, I'll be reading through, like, there are certain things I'll just like, well, that sure is a mechanic that I'll never use. Yep, there's one. Nope, don't want to do that. Nope, no thank you. Nope. Uh, and, and we're even seeing more recognition of this where game lines these days are doing more optional mechanics and more mm-hmm. more hey, here's here's some toolkit, throw together the pieces you like. Yeah, uh, conversation. Uh, Chron- Chronicles of Darkness, being able to tag certain products and say, uh, and I think Scion's plan you know, will ultimately do this as well, uh, this is a shard. This is this, We're going to talk about whatever's in this book, just in this book. It's fully ready to plug and play into the default, but by, the other books aren't going to acknowledge it. It's not part of the default. This right. is a way to, here is an official way to mod your setting. Yeah, here's a what if. Here's a what if scenario. Do you want to play with the what if? Right, and well, what if setting, all, but also could be what if rules um, yep. tacked onto it. And, and, and saying people were already doing that. You're already taking them piecemeal, like you mm-hmm. said. So why don't we just go ahead and acknowledge that there's a bit of a buffet here going on. Um, we'll, we'll, tell, we'll include and say which ones we think are essential for this particular play experience. But we're also going to say, and, and, and here's this peripheral layer that you can use to customize. God, that just makes me think weirdly of like the modding community in video games. Uh, well, you know, okay, before I was, was writing for this stuff, um, I, I, was, uh, I got a whole, when I first played Unreal, the first mm-hmm. game, and then later with Unreal Tournament, I was a self-taught coder for mm. that. And, uh, and one of the things, you know, I had played games, I had rent, run them, mm-hmm. I had done that in high school, but I took, took a detour where I was, where I was doing some coding and, mm-hmm. and to this. And, and I definitely took those skill, that skill set back and more importantly, the modding community mm-hmm. sentiment back when I hear as a fan that said part of how did I, I got on and part of my writing sample was me showing off my mods right. um, uh, to people right. and saying, Hey, look, you know, here are systems I've, I've tacked on that innovates while recognizing what's come before. Now hire me, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also important feedback. And this gets into our bigger conversation is feedback. Playtesting is extremely important. You're going to have other people give you a perspective, give you information that yeah. you need, um, that you didn't see yourself. Yes. And, and that you important. can't, and that you, or you can't see because it's in the blind spot of being the creator. Right. Um, and, and that's where, you know, having co-creators and, and having having an editor, having a good editor is, yeah. is so handy. Even if you're the developer, 
because your editor can come back to you and say, you may be the developer and all, but you didn't actually explain that. <laughs> and, and my sort of story of a shining example of this, uh, Michael said something how he wished he had, had more playtest happen so he could get this kind of feedback. D&D 5th Ed had an astronomical amount of playtesting. They were, this is the advantage of having a very large company with the funds and time to do this is they went out to the real, out in the real world through PDFs going, hey guys, break our game, play it, Tell, yeah. give us our feedback. For over like two years, they did this. Two years worth of feedback where most games barely get maybe a month or two. Uh, interestingly enough, we talk about breaking, break my game. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we salute to Josh Lee here, uh, yeah. um, who was uh, one of my players. He's the one who actually played the Unconquered Son, person who became the Unconquered Son eventually, um, who, who played in our Grimwatch game. Uh, Josh, you're listening to this. You, you, you know we love you. But um, but I had to start using terms like Josh proofing games um, because not because he was going to break the mechanics. He was never going to break the mechanics. There weren't very many mechanics to break um, in my sessions. Yes, that was very true. But he was going to break. He, he he could break it narratively. He could kick the tires, push the game outside of the box where it went, then where where it had been, and suddenly things were bigger, scarier, more complicated. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, but, but but plot ha- good plot happened yes, as a result um so so having someone who can who can stretch your game and say yes i see what vision you had in mind for it but poke 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 it can also do this and do you want to say and do you want to have to look back do you want to indulge that yes. do you want to do you want to encourage that do you want to add that to your your own vision of the game do you want to do you want to acknowledge it? Do you want to ignore it steadfastly and hope other people don't go there? <laughs> do you want to cover it over with cement? Right. Uh, but this is going to be me in a little bit of a soapbox moment. Uh, Kill your man. darlings. Yes. Well, it's the idea of you as the creator, and this is from personal experience where I've had my friends, my good close friends, do feedback, do playtesting. They have to come to me and go, "This doesn't work. This is wrong. This is not what you're saying about your game," and you have to swallow. Every single bit of it. You really can't defend yourself. You really can't. You just have to absorb it. And hopefully, if you are mature enough, you will go, you're right. Let me see how I can change it to make it to where I wanted it. Now, some people, now, just to be true, some people who play test, some people who give you feedback, they're going to give you feedback, and the feedback's not going to be worth much because they're like, well, I didn't like this part of the setting. Well, you're like, and after you think about it, it's like, this is a cornerstone thing of the setting. He just didn't like the setting. And that's fine. People are not going not gonna to like They things. don't get it or they don't want one. The feedback is, I don't want the thing that you're giving me. But it's I understood what it is that you're trying to give me. Right. Okay, great. You're not my target audience, but I have succeeded in, in conveying, right. really conveying what my thing is. Really, it's the machinery like yeah. that you really have to pay attention to. And I mean... I am one of those people who, you know, in the initial sudden the play does, we're like, eh, that probably needs to be a tightened up. Maybe this needs to change. And I, I mean, me and a few others. So. And, and in the play experience, you know, you also, one of the big resolution factors, and this is with DICE, is how fast does it take to proc the system, to process the system? You know, if I, if, if combat, if every round of combat takes 20 minutes to resolve, and every round of combat is only supposed to expand you know, six, seconds like six seconds of actual reality, mm-hmm. real right. time. Then, then, then combat turns into this excruciatingly long slog um, into this, or at least this this big investment to represent what what was really a bl- quick blur of action. Um, uh, you you uh, philosophically, I, my my opinion is you know dice should hit the table as 
as the minimum amount the necessary you know dice you don't roll the dice unless unless having an uncertain outcome adds something to it uh if as long as the is it seems that the the outcome is best served by this character is confident oh, this it, not to go it's also the idea of if i pick up the dice and i am forced to roll or i choose to roll it should matter there's a there's a there's a finality to well, that. it should matter that you are doing it um, yeah. um because the, if i'm throwing the dice yes there's the i've got my fate in my hands thing but it's also literally i'm, I'm being taken out of my narrative i am right. now a gamer tossing dice into this rather than being i'm letting an algorithm and probability now resign me to my fate well i'm me being a gamer yeah doing this action not headspace i am my character doing this action Right. Um, and and that's uh, those are key distinctions um, that that you can make. And so so I know I don't want to go full abstraction. I, I generally speaking, if I'm doing the dice mechanic thing, that there's a place for chance. Do I really need chance to do this, or am I do or am I having you roll dice because okay, you're taking an act, your character's taking an action. I guess you must throw dice about that. Yeah. Uh, um. That's there are games where that's. That's just the rules. That's that, what you do. That is how it's done. Um, yeah. So, so when do you, you know, when as a player are you going to skip the rules? Because most games are going to have times where they're going to skip You're, the rules. We encourage you to. Yeah, because really, Wolf made up the golden rule. Right. Of... We, we, oh, oh, right. And we encourage you to do this stuff. So, so in doing that, okay, if we know that the, you as players are going to skip the rules sometimes, are we making that easy? Are we making that hard? Uh, are are we are we giving you permission and encouraging it? They're going to be players and and they're not just problem players whose stance is going to be but it's in the book it it it, it should be that way it's there's in an the expectation book. you have to manage expectations right and that's even before you get into the whole can canon purists uh, <laughs> uh i have a game so i have a game that's going away we can all play it and and our listeners can play it at home and just to talk about when 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 it's time to throw dice or like should you throw dice or like what's the right time who here has been in a game where you have run into a situation that was basically impassable until you threw that correct number of dice, that correct number, or the right number of successes, or you hit the target number enough times, and there was literally no other way to go about proceeding in the in in the story until, for some reason, someone rolled enough dice, and I think. I just like every one of our listeners just raise their hand if they're a tabletop gamer. Oh, at a certain point, and, I'm sure there was, and, yeah. And I, I mean, that's kind and, of, and as and, and and every GM has done that, and you're cringing yeah. inside because you know you've done that. Um, yep. Yeah, it's it's yeah yeah. I'm sorry. I just felt like I just felt like bringing the room down a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's 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 a good concern. It's a good criticism um, of it that says, uh, well, well, are we creating walls to to people having the experience they want? With all of this, hopefully, if you are an aspiring designer, if you're just thinking about, hey, I just want to make a homebrew system for my friends, take some of these questions, try to answer them, and figure out what you want to do. I mean, obviously, we're not purists here. We're not saying you must go by the rules all the time. We're saying if you do it, do it smartly. If you're going to go against what is established, I'm more like guidelines. Yes, you know, exactly. actually, I'd say let's you can pull it back even further and and say what are the expectations of the yeah. players. Yeah. What am I? What kind of a game experience do I want? And and this is true when you're starting to run a game and you're you're gathering expectations of your players. Um, and it's true, certainly true when you're when you're when you're when you are creating a game, putting yourself in the position of the people who are running the game, putting yourself in the GM's position, putting yourself in the player's yes. position. Um, and and 
you you don't you when you're creating expectations it's not about saying use the rules but but if you're not going to use the rules be, be be sparing it's about saying what 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 is the covenant of the group what are the expectations right. of the group? what what can we depend upon about how this world operates do is does fiat a thing that comes into play a lot you know we're just oh inserted this this way okay if that's if that's a thing that happens how does it does it just pause here's the rules right. or or like with mutes and masterminds when when there's a fiat that says you lose by fiat here have a resource have yeah. a reward for 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 taking or it. have a resource that just says yeah yeah i, I succeed like or- like, uh, sure, sure, but it, but where you get to be the one that says I exert fiat. And uh, old White Wolf games had you could spend willpower and give yourself one success. Okay, that's great. I mean, but then as things have gone, uh, West End Games had uh, with you had character points. They were also your XP, so you didn't really want to spend them. And then you had force points, uh, uh, and, and and they were like double. I think it was doubled your dice pool. Yeah, it was. It was ridiculous. obscene, and yeah, it, you only had a handful of them, so you better save them for when. But but in that moment that you just said, I want to shine, it was, I want to own this. And you, you and, all those and, dice. And that all goes into the questions of the play experience, what your what the expectations are, yeah. and what enjoyment do you want the uh, the GM and the players to have in the game. If you're rolling dice, you know, there's also a difference between here's a mechanically a D20 system where I'm just rolling one die, and here's, here's I'm spending force points in, in West End Games uh, Star Wars, or I'm playing Exalted, and let me just drop bucket of dice. Um, yeah, Exalted got ridiculous. Eventually, we just went to apps that rolled dice for us because we were just rolling too many dice. We were just rolling too many dice. I think dice. the highest, I think my highest pool was once 53. I think I got to 53 in your game Already once. got over to like 100-something dice once. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It, it happens. I had uh, sidereal martial arts. There's nothing you could have done. Except shoot someone before something could have happened. <laughs> Until we go into much darker territory of this podcast, since, since I I will instead refer back to first edition Sidereal martial arts and be so once again grateful to Jenna Moran for bringing in a, such a fantastic concept. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, on that note, we are running a little late, so we're going to wrap it up here. We want to thank Michael very much for coming out and having a conversation with us. Happy to come back again uh, anytime uh, you want to drill down more tangents. Uh, sure. Um, and as always, if you have feedback, if you want us to tell us how good we're doing, you can. Uh, shoot us an email at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, I have seen the subscriber numbers increase since our last episode, so we know you guys are listening. Give us feedback. And thanks, Neil, for the uh, shout-out yes, to Polyhedron. Thank you very oh, much, yes. Neil, for everything. If you want, if Neil, if you're listening, if you want to be back on the show, you know my email address. Um, also, um, iTunes. Please go over to iTunes. Give us five-star reviews. Tell us how much you love this show. It really helps us. I want to increase our, our viewership. I want to increase our visibility. Um, and if you really, really, really like this show, you can head over to patreon.com slash polyhedron and think about giving uh, as much or as little as you want. Uh, Kaylee Chambers, as always, is a fantastic example of what it means to be a patron of this show. Um, uh, where can people, Michael, can find you on, can they find you on the Twitters or are they? Are you uh, not on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter at the, uh, yet. Uh, I keep being told I need to be. Um, Meh. You don't have to be, but it kind of helps. It's a fun little game. Yes. Uh, but anyways, if you have questions for Michael, we know how to get in touch with him. So if you, again, email us, email us, and we'll get those questions to Michael. Um, you can always find me at BioImportance. I am at Arduous, R-J-U-O-U-S. And I am at Divis Malkav. And from everyone here at Polyhedron, go geek out. Go roll some dice. Or not. Aww. <laughs>